Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party, an Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's this crazy week treating you, man? It's a bit out of control. The move has proven to be a lot crazier than uh, I probably should have anticipated. Yeah, the for the behind the behind the scenes, there's no what's going on with the move, and I'm in a different state than normal. There's a lot of chaos with the third party, but despite that chaos, we are here to finally do a proper arena's guide, including our perspective on the game mode, how it functions, and how you can get yourself best positioned to slay out in arenas with some third party tactics that have proven to work for Henry and I. So we're excited to talk about that. Before we do any of it, though, make sure you join us on Discord to chat Apex, find teammates, and receive third-party updates. Link for that is in the description, as always. Also, just a major shout-out to all of our patrons. We've just had so much support over on Patreon this last month. If you're interested in supporting the show, joining the third-party nation, head over to Patreon. Link's in the description as well. You can get ad-free listening, exclusive merch, gaming sessions with us, monthly calls, Discord perks, and much, much more. Our next goal, we're getting ever so closer to it, is starting a video podcast. So if that has you excited, head over to Patreon and we'll make it happen. That is the place to make it happen, no doubt about it. With that, though, let's dive into the news. First piece of news. So an Apex Legend TV show is supposedly rumored to be in development by Netflix and we're talking about this because we saw people post about this uh, thread and news article in our Discord. We've seen it kind of take over some of Twitter. It's very popular right now. It's going viral. Uh, but just to reiterate, this is not 100% confirmed. It is purely, purely rumors as of now. Um, Henry even mentioned, I think, in the pre-show that the website that posted the article has some history of being a little suspicious. So essentially, we are here to talk about it because it's uh, become a big piece of news topic in the Apex Legends scene. We want to make sure we calm down some people that are maybe overly excited about it. But in the situation this does come to be, let's discuss a little bit. I mean, it's not confirmed to be animated or live action. What would be your kind of first impressions if we ever got an Apex TV show on picking between those two options? I would have to lean to the animated side. I think mm -hmm. you could do more. I think you could do more content that way faster. And I think if you want to capture the personalities of the legends, you're probably going to keep it animated. And maybe you could even get the original voice voice yeah. actors for some of them. That, that was my thought. Like I would prefer the animated as well over the live action. And don't get me wrong, if a live action show comes, I'll, we'll be watching it, no doubt about it. But animated, I'd love to see the voice actors return, continue to do work with the team, and uh, kind of have the lore really bridge the gap between the show and the game. It would be, it'd be really special. Very, very cool. And if this happens someday down the road, we're going to have some third-party watch parties, whether they're on stream or in discord or something we'll be breaking it down and talking about these episodes together next piece of news though heat shields are going to be removed from the algs this is the second item to actually be removed from the algs gold knockdowns being the first what do you think this may signal for the future of competitive apex we've talked a lot about the game shifting away from this zone play kind of focus right now but 
at the same time, we're getting stuff like this that is kind of changing the highest levels to be more that original undertone of how we know Apex. Yeah. You know, I've always said that heat shields are incredibly weird. It's strange. It's very counter to everything that we think Apex is as a BR. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a good move that keeps the global series and competitive Apex competitive and not, you know, some sort of weird, uh, almost countering the ring. Just That's not what mm-hmm. a ring should do. It should force players together and there shouldn't be almost an exploit to avoid that. That being said, I think this continued like implementation of banning certain items mm-hmm. could open the doors to additional bans to maybe some larger things or, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities when you start to look at the global series like this. The fact that they're willing to do this and it's not now it's it's more than an exception. It's more than this gold knockdown thing that was complained about for so long. It's a how do we keep the integrity of the game and competitive the highest it can be? And banning is a function in which they are willing to go. What does that mean? You mentioned bigger things. This could open the door for legends down the line if that came to be, which would be crazy. Not my first choice. But I think this kind of further signals that the opportunity for something like that is there now. Yeah, I think that Legends is huge, um, but you could even do completely different like loot pools, you mm-hmm. know, different spawn rates of things. So those things are more even. There's a lot less disparity between rarities. You know, there's totally. more purple items or everything's just blue or maybe there's a lot less attachments in general to make it more competitive, more skillful to actually do well. Um, it opens the door for a lot of stuff. It's It's cool to see. I would love to see um, maybe maybe one of the complaints I see the most that is always an interesting one is the zones closing in the same spot for seven straight games. And that's like an advantage. You know, I mean, I feel like if they had somebody in charge and they just wanted to decide where seven zones went, like we could make that happen and maybe that would better the integrity of the game. And if they chose the drop ship also and not left that up to the randomizer obviously we start taking those variables out that's very different we're talking a completely different thing than a full br with randomization but once we start talking about how to make comp best i think the options of the what you can do really open up in terms of what you can do 100 percent. let's talk about some leaks some leaks and if you are not interested feel free to skip ahead timestamp is going to be in the description as always but our first leak today is coming from Shrugtall, and actually this is our only leak of the day. We have a rumored new map for Season 11, codenamed Tropic Island. So where does this fit in the timeline of a new map? So World's Edge came after three seasons in Season 3. Four, if we include the Season 0 timeline. Olympus came in Season 7, which is four seasons later. So getting a map in season 11 would keep us on this theoretical four season schedule. So this is probably not the craziest leak we've seen. It's a really interesting conversation, I think, to have in terms of what does that mean for map rotations and all that kind of future updates, etc. Let's talk about that before we kind of talk about some of the unique things that have potentially been leaked for this uh, map itself. What would you want to see out of the game if we got a fourth map? In terms of the map rotations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Having four really complicates things. I was a big supporter of this idea of having all three in as we do this season. I'm very excited about that. Adding a fourth uh, 
feels a bit messy to me and almost feels overwhelming. And so I think if you put in a fourth new map, you're looking at losing one on a much more permanent basis. And mm-hmm. so that's tough. You know, I wouldn't want to say bye to King's Canyon, but it would probably be the first to go. And that would be your public rotation without the three most recent maps. What does it do for ranked, you know, situation? Currently, we play ranked on new maps. That's just how we do mm-hmm. it. That's how we did it with the Olympus. That's how I believe we'll do it in the future. Is that the best thing for the game? Maybe. That could be a discussion to have. Maybe mm-hmm. this new map isn't in the first season ranked rotation to get people actually familiar with it. But in the past, it's kind of been saying that they want to have people to be on even footing and not have mm-hmm. the most experience in the ranked map for better or worse. It's really interesting. I'm fascinated to see what goes down. I think I'm never going to complain about a new map coming into the game. More content, the better. And so I'm excited to see what comes. Some of the leaks we've kind of had to go with this, we have vehicles potentially coming to the map. There is code for tridents, which I think that's going to, you know, drive some people a little frustrated. And there's a lot of people out there that don't like tridents and the rotations that kind of come with the vehicle style map. We also have this leak for wildlife or AI and that they could be involved in the map on a much more open basis than like, you know, how they're contained currently in Bloodhound's trials where you could run into this AI anywhere, essentially. And it's theoretically located on Gaia, which is a map we have a lot of lore around in terms of spiders and this jungle style area. Let's talk about it a little bit, what that style might go and where that might go i don't want to spend too much time on this because it is so theoretical and so leaky as of now but i do think it's fascinating because i can tell you one thing i suck in the king's canyon area that is like a little bit of a forest so if we get a pure jungle map i could be in some trouble in terms of success (laughs) yeah i mean jungle to me means low visibility yeah you got a Mm -hmm. lot of ground cover you got a lot of trees it's hard to even if you do have high ground it's hard to even see out very far Um, And so a tropic jungle sort of idea could be a really, really hard map and could lend itself to the recent emphasis on the recon legends being very, very Mm -hmm. powerful on this new map, uh, given maybe how it will look and feel. That being said, I really like the idea of a jungle map. I think that if we're going to move away from the urban centers on World's Edge, Mm -hmm. I don't think Olympus is the future of Apex. I don't really like that style of being Mm -hmm. so spread out uh, and just having such tight rotations and almost chokes. I think a jungle where we're kind of just more flat and even um, with kind of rolling hills and trees and nature could be a really, really fun spot for Apex. It could be really good. I think I'm with you, though. We're not both the hugest fans of Olympus currently and just how it plays, especially once we start talking ranked. But I would love to see a new map come that reinforces the power positions and controlling areas, playing ahead in the zone and rewarding that play style. I think it fits very well into what makes a fun Apex match, in my opinion. And it's not like we're biased or anything. We've only been playing the game for two something years, it feels like, (laughs) at this point. That's going to cover the news and leaks, though, for the day. And with that, we're going to dive into the main topic and talk about how to slay in arenas and drop a little bit of our third-party arenas guide. Start us off, HB. So arenas is a highly competitive mode. 
which is continuing to grow in popularity as it's the only non-random version of Apex, where you have the incredible legends, addicting movement, and satisfying weapons into this immediately responsive game. There's no waiting, there's no looting, mm-hmm. it's just action, action, action. And that is pretty much summed up in the fact that in arenas, it's a straight up 3v3. There's no third parties, there's no armor or weapon looting, there's no respawns. And if you remove matchmaking, you know, by playing with the squad, you have a very pure skill-based shooter, which is incredible in the world of Apex. I gotta emphasize that skill. It, Arenas is going to and has already created some of the best gun-based players in the game at an incredible, incredible level. I watched some competitive arenas the other day, actually kind of looking forward to this. And it is crazy. People out there do not miss at the highest levels right now. It's wild. I think it's really important to note that the guns are going to play a very important role in the end for winning and losing. There's less variables, essentially, that can make up for those slight little differences. Absolutely. And for the reasons that we just mentioned, and the recent addition of ranked arenas, more and more players are trying their skills in arenas. And for that, we have come up with this guide. So we want to help everybody improve their decision making in this split second game mode, where Mm -hmm. really every decision is going to matter. And the decisions you make in round one have a ripple effect all the way to the end of the game. So making sure that you're making smart decisions is key. But first things first. Number one, it's got to be said that the first and second rounds are the hardest. You have the least amount of abilities, the weakest weapons, highest skilled required. We're going to try our best to help you, you know, win those first two rounds, but they're really hard. You don't have a lot to work with, and they're arguably some of the most important because of their difficulty to win and you can get a huge advantage on the material side and just the rounds one side of things Mm -hmm. going up 2-0 that is uh something to not joke about in arenas it's very hard to make that comeback because as you mentioned the early crafting it's that snowball effect into those later rounds round Mm -hmm. one round two will impact sudden death end game final circle chaos yeah and you have to win by two so it's like if you can get up you're in a really safe spot to win the game Mm -hmm. the second thing we have to get out of the way first is the map plays a huge role in your legend and weapon choice, as well as your throwable buys. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about grenades. That's going to change where where the rotation is in terms of the shrink, what map it is, and what legend. So there's a lot of ifs when we talk about arenas, but we're trying to boil it down to what's the most valuable information for you. Yeah. And with that, we're going to give you our strategies and such, but it needs to be noted that not everything will apply to every situation based on, are you solo queuing? Are you playing with two other people? That's going to make a huge difference in your arena's experience and the choices you'll go out there making. Totally. So what we're going to discuss beginning in chronological order is we're going to talk legend choice and team comps, round strategies, material budgeting, economy, and then we're going to talk weapon and buy strategies. And before we jump into that, arenas is a bit controversial because it honestly is difficult to know or prove 
that one is a good arenas player. Mm -hmm. If you have high average damage, that doesn't mean much. If you have a, a high KD or a lot of kills, that also doesn't mean much. Well, like, and it needs to be said because why is that the case? Like, if you are very good, you will 3 0 people. And mm -hmm. that's a very, very quick game. And you're not going to put up kills, you're not going to put up damage. But if you're playing in a low ELO, going back and forth, putting up tons of damage and kills in huge sudden death games, that's going to boost your stats. It, it, it's crazy when we talk about this with like kind of people in our discord and such, because I think people get really excited about their arena stats. And I don't think we're by all means, we don't want to put like the wet blanket on anything, like be proud of your statistics. It is just so much harder to determine than the BR, which is very similar and built to be the same for everyone's experience. Yeah. And so for that reason, it's just hard to, to tell, oh, am I really good or not? Um, based off of those, because you want to win fast, you don't want to put up crazy numbers. And then on top of that, it's also difficult to know if you are truly good because of the matchmaking right now. Yeah. If you're not three stacking and you know one of your teammates is not pulling their weight, you're probably going to lose no matter how good you are, just because they can really throw the game. And even if they're not, you know, acting as a, a bullet sponge for you. They're not getting materials. They're not mm -hmm. resin you when mm -hmm. they should be there or they're resin you when you shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they can, they can lose the game. So it's really hard. And given kind of the state of the matchmaking, all these things combined, it's hard to tell if you're good or not, yeah. but at the end of the day, getting those streaks, getting wins, that's mm -hmm. what matters. It's just sometimes hard to show that kind of stuff. So there's no room for error in arenas. Not really. One teammate can make all the difference. It's it's brutal, I think, to say the least, for a lot of people out there experiencing the solo queue of arenas currently. And we could go all day and talk about the matchmaking. I think if we really wanted to, we're kind of deciding to avoid that topic for the day. And we hope that it continues to improve with future updates because right now there seems to be an issue. And I think I'm going to leave it at that before we uh, go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's get into the legends. So when we're looking at legends and arenas, arenas offers in many ways an entirely new way to weigh and value any legends kit. Each legend gets their passive for free and at least one charge of their tactical each round. On top of that, additional charges of a tactical ability can be purchased and ultimate abilities can be purchased between every round and every second round. Because of this, the power of a legend comes down to the following in this order. Number one, tactical strength and price. This is very similar to the Battle Royale. You know, mm -hmm. tacticals are a major indicator on power just because how much they can do uh, in this game. Number two is the passive strength. Because you have it all the time, you don't have to buy it. Um, the strength of a different legend's passive is a major indicator of their power. Rip our legends that don't have passives right now. <laughs> seriously. It seriously is a shame for them because they're so highly weighted in this mode. Yep. And then finally, the ultimate price and application. It could be a really cheap ultimate, but if it doesn't really sway around or you can't use it a whole lot, it's not a major indicator. So that's mm -hmm. kind of 
the third consideration. And we'll talk about that later. But that's kind of what we're going into. And that's a lot different than when we talk about legends in the battle royale. So arenas is different. It's so different. That's the key. That key word right there is different because it is unlike anything we've been used to for so long. And so adjusting to this, making sure you guys have the correct information to make informed decisions in your legend choice, because hate to break it to a lot of you, but if you've been, you know, maybe maining per se, in our opinion, Wraith for the last year and a half might not provide the same level of importance in arenas as she does in BR, which is something I think people are going to be needing to adjust for. We've had developers mention that it's going to be okay if legends come in built for arenas and that they are a dominant force in arenas and that's a part of their kit. And that's going to be something we need to monitor in the future and continue to do so. The legends are going to differ from what we're used to. That's what we're here to try to spread some knowledge on helping you out with that. Yeah. And in the same vein of what you're talking about, the developers have also said that if a legend isn't a great fit in arenas, they don't really care either. Totally. So totally. it just isn't really the priority of balancing. But that being said, I think we have a great buy system that mm-hmm. works really well to balance the legends as best as possible. It's a gun game and the buy system is in a very healthy place currently. I don't see a lot of people out there uh, frustrated or complaining about our current buy system. And I would say it's it's one of my favorites I've played with in this style. So we're just going to kick things off. Talking about the legends, we've broken them down into different categories, almost as a tier list in terms of importance. But really, each category fits a different role in the team. And we're just going to kick it off spicy Let's with mm-hmm. the three legends we consider invaluable that you always want them on your team. They're really some of the most versatile and some of the most powerful legends in arenas. I'm just going to come out and say it. Bloodhound, Gibraltar, and Lifeline. Great lineup right there. They are all very impactful. And when you play without them, you will notice it. That is kind of the key thing in arenas per se. When you're playing such a gun-heavy mode, when you miss out on the abilities and it makes a big difference in combat, that's when you know somebody's in that invaluable tier right now i think everybody knows at this point that a lifeline is irreplaceable in arenas i go as far to say never res unless you're lifeline Mm -hmm. because it just puts you in such a vulnerable position and even if you do pull off the res it doesn't give you a whole lot of value if their whole team's on top of you so lifeline allows you to kind of have that insurance have that backup plan and you have to put credit on that. There's nothing mm-hmm. more annoying, I think, in arenas than going up against the lifeline because mm-hmm. all your hard work can really get uh, stripped away. Next, we're going to talk about what we consider to be the mobility or the eco or mm-hmm. kind of the legends that can get you those crafting materials. And we'll talk later about that importance, but the mobility is less about that as it might be in the BR and more about getting those supply bins, getting those crafting materials before the other team. And that's Pathfinder, Loba, Valkyrie, and Octane. The people that have horizontal mobility. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to leave out, unfortunately, Horizon out of this tier because going up isn't going to help you go get ahead and get that crafting. That's one of those differences when we talk mobility between arenas and we VR, per se. Yeah, for the most part, it's true. 
Next category is disruptors. And these are legends that they can give a good amount of utility, whether it's offensive or defensive, they can kind of disrupt an enemy's normal flow in a straight up 3v3, which is important. You know, when it is such a head to head like that, having a little bit of a chaos or extra damage or extra confusion can be really, really powerful. That's Revenant, Mirage, Bangalore, Seer, Rampart, and Fuse. It's quite the group, I think, because um, we've got a lot of differences. You have Recon, Assault, Defense, all in this category. But honestly, I think that each one of them offer a, a decent amount of value uh, throughout their kit as to kind of creating that chaos, trying to confuse the enemy, trying to do damage. You know, I'll talk about Rampart um, as a bit of a tangent. I love playing her. Like, totally. really strong. I think that LMGs are really good in arenas. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but her passive is so strong. The amped covers are powerful as well, but it's not just that they can allow you to hold an area or get on top of enemies and have protection and do more damage. I use them a lot for just almost distraction. I'll mm-hmm, put down two mm-hmm. to force an enemy to shoot at them while my teammates can shoot at them, or I can go behind actual cover uh, and get some shots on. So she's a disruptor in a sense that she can also distract similar to Mirage. Make an enemy shoot something is a really powerful ability. Yeah, wasting clips is a very big deal. I love this category. And like I love seeing a guy like Fuse kind of fall into a category that is maybe a bit happier and makes some sense. You know, his passive really allows him to carry a lot of grenades. We'll talk about the importance of grenades later in the show, but they seem to play a very large role in our strategies. And so having something like that to double up is great. And if you're uh, not catching a little bit of a uh, pattern here, we're talking passives as something that are quite, quite valuable currently. No doubt about it. Then we have the hit or miss category. And this is the one that we had to think about the most on because they can dominate a game, honestly. But the likelihood of that happening, given their kit and how arenas works, is hit or miss. Mm-hmm. We have Wraith and Horizon. Both loved legends, honestly. Totally. I mean, Horizon can absolutely destroy a round with her ultimate. Like, and we'll talk about that in more detail in a bit, but like she can absolutely end everything. There's some incredibly crazy high level wraith play. And right now in like ranked arenas, once you get into those masters lobbies and it's crazy, but at the same time, hit or miss, not something that we're going to come in here and tell you guys, Hey, this is reliable. This is something that'll apply to you and improve everyone else's arena's experience and get you more wins. It's very hit or miss. And if you've been listening to us for a while, Henry and I kind of like to take the risk out of a battle royale and try and give you guys the safest options available. Yeah. And to call back to kind of our S tier, Invaluable Legends, Bloodhound, Gibraltar, and Lifeline, those are all, if you ask me, the most supportive legends in the game. Totally. They're in all three different categories, but they all have so much team utility mm-hmm. that you're setting yourself up for success. Wraith, not a whole lot of team utility. Yes, you can get the portal every round and it's pretty cheap, but is the application there? Does it have value in arenas having to wait for the Wraith to set it up? What can it do? How consistent is it compared to those other legends? And then Horizon, kind of the same story, very powerful. 
mm-hmm. ultimate, but the tactical and the passive, not very applicable to most arena situations. Then we got Watson. She's in her own category. She has a small hitbox and she's good at zoning. I've had some great success with her, but is the ultimate and the fences enough to make her super relevant in arenas? It's a, I would say it's a tough question, but it is one that we have not found a lot of success with in our experience so far. And arenas will wind up playing either fast paced or very slow. And in those slow fights, there's just legends that can provide so much more utility, as you mentioned, with those invaluable kind of team oriented people. And in those fast fights, having a small hitbox is nice, but not having an in, not having an out and having nothing in combat to help your team or yourself is a pretty tough spot to be in as a legend right now. Yeah. I mean, you'd rather have double time it, you know, yeah, at no that doubt. point, or you'd rather mm-hmm. have, you know, a health drone, you know, it's, it's tough when you look at Watson. I think she has some strengths, but relative to the competition, she's kind of in a league of her own in terms of, is she really a must pick or should mm-hmm. you continue to main her? If you main her in BR, it's up in the air. Then finally, we have two legends that we believe are just out of place. And that's Caustic and Crypto. I don't think you should be playing these two legends. And I I think, here's what I will say. I think Crypto, I think most of our audience will immediately understand that and agree with that. Caustic is a little bit more of the slightly surprising one. But this guy, while having the space to be so good with his barrels and his, you know, Nox gas, we'll talk about the ult in a little bit. But there just is this lack of that team utility that we speak of and rather this solo power. And that is going to really, really alter how and why you choose somebody in arenas when helping out a teammate is going to be the difference in a 3v3 fight on if you win or not. Yeah, Caustic's tough because he doesn't really have that passive. And Mm -hmm. if you happen to go up another Caustic, up against another Caustic, wow. Like your whole kit is almost nullified and it just, you could have done more, you know, if Mm -hmm. you chose another legend, but that's kind of the categories. Let's take a bit of a tangent and talk the ultimates because really ultimate abilities are probably the hardest to balance in arenas where they can determine a fight. So we were blown away by the balancing. Like I will say when when it first came in, there is so much thought put into it. I don't think there are any that like are outlandish to us in the sense of like, oh, that one's so cheap. Like if anything has started to dominate, there have been patches that have changed those things very quickly. They're doing a fantastic job. And in arenas, you have to go out of your way to buy your ultimate. And that is kind of what we're going to talk about. Is it worth it? Is the value there? Feel free to go ahead. So we kind of assessed each ultimate in terms of value. Is it really valuable, sometimes valuable, or really not valuable at all, and mm-hmm. you shouldn't buy it? Kick it off with the most valuable ultimates, Bloodhound, Gibraltar, Bangalore, Seer, Horizon, and Octane. Got a lot of different things here, but I think they're all very impactful to actually winning rounds in arenas. Well, and the fact that they're so different is why we'll tell you some of our opinions in team comp and like why we choose certain legends, but it's hard for us to say, this is how you use this legend's ultimate in a game because how you use Octane's ult in a game is going to depend on your team. If you choose Octane, it's going to depend on your team. 
same with seer same with bloodhound it's it's very tough to in a vacuum say this one individual legend offers a lot of power outside of our invaluable tier for the legends right now totally i i think out of this category you have to buy the bloodhound ultimate you just pretty much have to and the seer ultimate as it is right now very very valuable hard to Mm -hmm. skip up on that so your one, I will say personally, I'll throw, throw it in real quick because I didn't have it penciled in later, a little map dependent. There are some maps where the, the usage isn't as productive in terms of being having it be vulnerable to be shot or just the layout of the map in general. And that also applies to applies Gibraltar to a lot and of Bangalore. Things. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is big. I will have the hot take that I'm a Gibraltar main. I think Bangalore's ultimate is more valuable than Gibraltar's and Arena's. Mm-hmm. It's easier to deploy. I think it disrupts gunplay a lot more. It lasts longer. It's a really strong ultimate and one that shouldn't be laughed at in arenas. It's priced at the exact same point as Gibraltar's and has mm-hmm. the same every second round penalty on it. So when you do have it available, I think you should buy it and use it. Well, being able to slow down combat in a mode that can get really fast paced that's where that's incredibly valuable and that's something that is going to change around in your favor for the better depending on the situation in a drastic way then we have the sometimes valuable ultimates and that's valkyrie revenant mirage watson and pathfinder with the addition of loba kind of in the middle between mm-hmm. really valuable and sometimes valuable i've been playing a lot of loba in arenas and the price of her ultimate at 200 materials and the fact that you can get it every single round gives you so much flexibility to play this game on your terms it's ridiculous mm-hmm. so it's almost like a must buy i think that if you're playing loba mm-hmm. because you can buy it and use it right off the bat to get batteries with no risk and you're going to make money on that pretty much. Yep. Battery is 150. This ultimate is 200. You can pull out two. And then when the care package comes down, you still have a slot to get a weapon and yep. ammo. So mm-hmm. this is a really good, you know, if you're playing eco and you want to play a little safer, this ultimate is big. It's the best bang for your buck out there. No doubt about it. And then the rest of these, you know, somewhat valuable ultimates really fall into the frame of, well, let's look at a Revenant Totem as the example. Can be great when paired effectively. We It's the same story in BRs as is in arenas. But, you know, if you say, for example, we look at those top elements we just spoke of, you automatically use a Seer ult. You're going to provide a lot of value for the entire team. You just use a Rev Totem and you happen to be by yourself. You, know, you just ran into a situation of wasting that and then wasting a lot of crafting on how much that thing costed you. There's... This tier is the, in the right situation, there is a use for it, but it's not an every use kind of thing. Totally. And, you know, having them right next to each other in the same category of value, the death totem from Revenant and the life of the party from Mirage, the Revenant is 500 crafting and you can use it every second round. Mm-hmm. Mirage is 350 and you can use it every single round. They both are kind of map dependent. Maybe they're useful. Maybe they, you know, give you a major advantage in a round. I will say though, out of this category, I think the Mirage Ultimate, given the price and the limitations on it, it's a must buy if you're mm-hmm. playing Mirage. It gives you a lot of power to 
confuse enemies, waste clips, get positioning that you need. It's a good one. No doubt about it. Then we got the less applicable ultimates. Rampart, Fuse, Caustic, and Crypto. These are ones that you just probably shouldn't buy for the most part. There's some exceptions. And then Wraith is kind of a float in between. You really shouldn't buy or maybe sometimes it can be applicable. And the only reason Wraiths is sitting there is because it's so cheap at 150. And so it's almost like this free pass in a way like, oh, I could get a bat. And if you pull off the kidnap, you win a round. But we can't co- tell you to go count on doing that. And so we're, we're not going to go place this at an incredibly high value. I think all these other ultimates that are listed in this tier fall into the same category for a reason. Rampart, stationary, locked in. It's hard to do that in arenas when someone can flank you and you'll be very vulnerable. Fuse, limitations on range, make it very hard to use in certain situations. We talked about Caustic already. And man, you, Give your opinion on crypto because I agree, but you said it very well when we were discussing this one pre-show because this ability is in a place right now, man. I've tried. You know, I, I think crypto is absolutely unplayable in arenas. The EMP, even if it gives you a decent amount of value, you're able to do the 50 damage, you know, that's great. This thing is the most expensive ultimate in arenas. You have a major penalty on it. You can only use it every second round. You can get so much more utility mm-hmm. out of any other legends than crypto. Should it be changed? I don't know. Maybe not. I think that a lot of these decisions in terms of the round penalty that you can use in arena is really, really good for the game. It yep. means you're not getting, you know, destroyed by a Sheila every single round. You're not getting, you know, dropping a bombardment on your head. It's keeping the gameplay pretty clean, pretty gun focused, but you Eliminates still have the, the frustration. Yeah. And given that you have to win two rounds mm-hmm. or you have to win by two, it makes it so that an ultimate isn't really designed to to sway a full game of arenas. Totally. Totally. Well, that was us talking about ultimates. We're going to break down team comps here in a second. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Listener, that is not the sound of a soda, energy drink, or beer, but the sound of a refreshing can of water. How's it taste, Shay? Tastes good. Tastes like I'm drinking water straight from the Austrian Alps, fresh and pure. I think that liquid death for gamers is an incredible option for them looking to enhance their focus and maintain energy by staying hydrated. I am unfortunately addicted to soda, and now that we have liquid death as a partner, A, it sounds awesome, and B, it's a can, so I can't tell the difference. I certainly drink a lot of water between the two of us, on and off stream. With the can's gold accents and crisp design, I now get to drink it in style. But why is this water called liquid death? Let me tell you. It's because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles everywhere. Also, they donate 10% of profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. It really blows me away that plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore and how most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. We are super excited to be partnering with a brand that is conscientious of the environment and with our help wants to encourage sustainable purchases for your health and the planet. 
So go to liquiddeath.com and get a koozie two-pack, $8 value on us when you purchase a 12-pack and use the code THIRDPARTY at checkout. You can also find Liquid Death nationwide at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods. And online, they're offering free shipping on all merch and two-plus cases of water. Get out there and murder your thirst, third-partiers. Welcome back. Let's talk team comps now for arenas. And these are the third-party team comps. And when it comes to building a team on the right squad, we have a general model we like to follow. And that's not to say that those tough, crazy strategies won't work. And the fun thing about arenas is in your, your that if you want to play Watson, Rampart, and Caustic, you can go all in and have some fun. It's a controlled environment, and there's ways to win doing so. But in general, for what we're going to recommend to purely win, we have a structure for teams that we run competitively and we find work the best. And that's going to come down to three roles per se. The first of which that is that mobility slash eco legend. We talked about the category earlier, why it's important, but being able to grab early heals and crafting as fast as possible is valuable. And the favorites for this, in our opinion, are Loba and Pathfinder. For Loba, you have the bracelet. It's easiest mobility ability in the game and being able to use it consistently to get heals, crafting, and maneuver around the map incredibly, incredibly fast is awesome. And then you mentioned the black market ability as a legit ultimate to buy and play. It goes really well and it offers the ability for Loba to flex and play around slower if possible and get value from the care package. That's versatility that we really love. She supports the team in strong ways with both of her abilities and she does it in the fast way great legend if pathfinder the other mobility legend we're going to talk about it's the highest skill ceiling in a region as you've probably watched a youtube video on the best grapples to get there fast you know pathfinder if mastered can get to the heels and crafting faster than anyone in the game the name of the game for pathfinder is speed you know you can use that grapple to close the gap if and when your team gets the first knock and the value of the first knock is incredible in arenas and so those are the two mobilities we're going to recommend and they play quite different even though they're going to have the same initial push of go to the bins grab those heels grab the crafting and get your advantage for the team in that way right now i'm maining loba Mm -hmm. you know in arenas i really am i the bracelet requires no skill whatsoever and Mm -hmm. you're going to be consistently way faster than everybody else in order to get materials and uh the heels the other thing about loba that i like is if you're not using the black market because you don't need to or you don't want to or you didn't buy it you have an advantage with the passive when the care package comes down to know all right where is the weapon i want going to be because you can see through it so she's got a lot going for her and i really enjoy playing her we've been having a blast with loba i think you and i have both been playing her an absolute ton the second spot in our team comp, though, is the intel spot. We've just talked endlessly, endlessly about the importance of knowing information in Apex. It's simple. Intel just allows players to make better decisions and win more fights. By isolating individuals or having the leg up on knowing when someone rounds a corner, that difference in knowledge is just going to really make a huge difference in Apex. And our favorites for this one, huge surprise here, I'm sure, Bloodhound and Seer. Bloodhound obviously found themselves in the invaluable tier. Bloodhound's tactical is a huge reason for that. It covers a wide area, provides incredible intel for the entire squad. We don't need to go or why their tactical is so good. 
but the ability to easily identify if one player is separated, secure an easy knock, that's something that is going to immediately win you rounds in arenas. Not to mention, you bathe in the bluff. We have ranked as the highest value ultimate. You end up with just an incredibly powerful intel legend right there. Seer, on the flip side, Seer provides intel and power in a slightly different way than Bloodhound. The passive's ability is great for arenas, being able to pick out those stragglers, pick up the direction in which enemies are flanking, and you get to do it for free and constantly. That's something that is very, very valuable. I think in a lane-based mode with fewer variables to worry about, that tackle is very easy to hit. And we know in BR, and it rolls over to arenas, being able to stop a res or cancel a heal, that's a that's a death sentence for someone, you know? And that's a reason that there's a lot of power and seer in arenas just in themselves. Absolutely. I, I think that both of these should be used in arenas. They both have different ways. Honestly, right now, I think you can swap them out. Really. I, they're really both powerful. We'll We'll talk about it when we give the example comps, but I think they both are incredibly strong options but play slightly differently. So it's just going to come down to what your preference is. And then the last spot is that support medic reser, however you want to, you know, fly it in there going down in arenas is a death sentence for most of the time. And despite that though, there are two legends in the game that actually offer the opportunity to recover from that sticky situation in an OT game that can make all the difference, you know, in any game that can make all the difference. Reviving is practically near impossible. And the legends that make it possible are Gibraltar and Lifeline. Gibraltar has that bubble. Not only for the resing, it just provides incredible utility in BR and in arenas. You know, revive that teammate, cover a teammate who maybe made a mistake, got a little too far away. You know, you could push for a point of interest, whether it's those crafting or those care packages and bubble it that can get you there quicker and in a safe way. Add on to the fact that you got Gibraltar's positivity. We talked about the ultimate. And a gun shield that is really invaluable for slower matches that lead to those poking fights. And you end up with a very effective legend. Lifeline, on the other hand, we said it earlier, but that passive is everything. It's the only legend in the game that can fight while reviving. And you might be able to actually get one off, pair it with a gold bag. That's a pretty strong break glass in case of emergency, part of your team comp. Obviously, we're not relying on either of these two legends to revive you to win, but without them, you have no chance if you do mess up and you do make a mistake. Lifeline is just incredible with the gold bag. It's like if you compare a Revenant death totem, you know, you you activate it, you go out, and then Mm -hmm. you have this get out of jail free, get the extra 50 health. If you're playing close to your lifeline, you have a get out of jail free if they're covering you and you get a hundred extra health that the Mm enemy is going to have to deal out if you have a gold bag. So she's really, really powerful. Is that okay? Yes, Mm -hmm. but it's tough. You know, she has so much power and it is so difficult to counter in arena specifically that it's hard to assess if it's fair or not. Can you use a grenade? Yes. Can you use a different ability to counter it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you just shoot the person that's being revived? Absolutely. But if it's a strong lifeline who's covering it and they're close and they're on it, you, I have been on both sides of getting a knock and then losing the round because the lifeline or because I myself was rezzed or am rezzing as lifeline. She's a game changer. 
And for these kind of roles, you can mismatch these in any combo and come up with a really, really strong team comp. A couple examples just for the day, though, to wrap this up are you could go Loba, Bloodhound, Gibby. That's kind of a very consistent, very strong lineup. You know, Loba and Bloodhound are the maybe the two easier to play of these categories. And so with that comes less mistakes and more success. And so that's a very strong combo. Flip side, you could go Pathfinder, Seer, maybe with the Gibby as well. A little bit higher risk, higher ceiling. You know, Seer Pathfinder combo can be devastating. It's going to be a lot less consistent than those other two, but you're still filling these roles that lead to success in arenas. And then I think this fun combo that I've been running a lot is Bloodhound and Seer, and then pair it with like the Lifeline, you know, or the Gibby, whatever you want to do. But just having those two together in terms of intel. I feel like in you get to turn it into a gun-based mode where you feel like you have wall hacks, essentially. You know, you are always, always aware of the whereabouts of the other team. I think any of these combos are going to bring great success. And that's those third-party recommendations right there. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree on that last bit about just the power of recon because a Bloodhound scan or just revealing an enemy, it's not just an intel ability. It's also defensive. Totally. Enemies are going to have a really hard time pushing you, even if you're weak, if you know exactly where they are. It's mm-hmm. very scary. If you get your shields cracked, duck behind cover, scan them, that's going to buy you enough time to get back together, heal. It's really, really strong. Yeah. Those are the team comps, though. Let's talk about some round-by-round round strategies, kind yeah. of your options for how you play arenas successfully. Yeah. I see you kind of going into this idea two ways. You can say, we're going to stick together. Mm-hmm. And I support that. You can do that two ways. You can stick together and play pretty defensive. Just get to a position, stay there, stay long distance. Mm-hmm. You're going to have success. Or you stay together and you play super aggressive. Mm-hmm. The other option is you don't necessarily stick very close together. You kind of spread out and you go for the crafting materials. Play eco. You try to just do everything you can to get an economic advantage on the other team yeah and those are the three strategies we kind of rock with i think it's hard for us to come in and say here's the best one because it'll partially depend on how the enemy's playing if the other team is also playing eco you know then you're splitting out you're taking three 1v1s or a 2v2 and a 1v1 that's a little risky And then you could counter that by playing aggressive getting an early knock on someone else that was separated there's a lot of adjustment in arenas you're going to have to make as a team round to round to kind of have the most success and you're not going to be able to play aggressive every single round that you start to become predictable in arenas mix it up maybe Mm -hmm. you play eco for a little bit maybe you play defensive for a little bit and then you throw a round in there where you go octane pad onto the enemy's opposing team mix it up keep it unpredictable have some success in that way i think that's absolutely true you can't can't get lazy in arenas you have to keep Mm -mm. it fresh and you have to be using every tool available because these round nine situations this is a competitive mode you know Mm -hmm. you can't be just a one-trick team in terms of your strategy let's talk about those tools you kind of mentioned and these are the main tools we're going to talk about today and the weapons they're obviously a, a very big portion of the game and they're a very big portion of apex legends arenas as it is right now First round, like we said at the top, most important, most difficult. Right now, the third-party favorite is 
buying the purple P2020. It's so good. Is that going to work for everybody? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It really works for me. And a couple of the reasons are, number one, the price. Fully kitted DigiThread on a P2020 Max Mag is only 250 materials. Cheapest thing ever. That mm-hmm. fully kitted is less expensive than every other weapon in the game base. Common Mac. Yeah. Crazy. And the Mozambique, as kind of the other free alternative on the entry level, to max that out, it's 375 materials. So it's much more expensive. I like the P2020 because it allows you to have some range. It's not like the Mozam where you're mm-hmm. just up close. So you have some range and you have a huge magazine. But most importantly, the price and the fact that up close, I feel very confident that I can rapid fire it. I can get knocks with it. This is a really good way to go for me. Yeah, I I love the P2020 right now. You 100% got me on this wave. I was a uh, wingman G7, play a little bit slower kind of player for a long time in arenas. And I'm now loving the P2020 with it two times because of that versatility and range that it does offer. And I think it's a pretty solid hip fire too up close if you really, really mm-hmm. need to. So it's very strong and saves you a lot of money. It really does. And you just have the mag size to, you know, hip fire it if you need to. Totally. So it's it's there. Other alternatives, I think, to those kind of cheapo options, if you want an actual gun, but with no <laughs> attachments, is G7. Still, like you said, I use it, you use it, it's mm-hmm. strong, versatile. Wingman. Almost similar. You know, you have the close range mobility. You have some power behind it. If you're good with the wingman, go ahead and stick with it. It's going to be used at the highest levels of arenas. So we can't not mention it. You were you totally hit the point and it just needs to be even further emphasized if you're good with it. This ain't a gun mm-hmm. that you can just, anyone can kind of pick up and use. You've got to have proven success with this weapon. Or you could be at the beginning of arenas and you want to get good with the wingman and this is good practice for you. And then there's two other weapons that I want to say is kind of early game options. You see them a lot. They can be very, very effective, but you have to keep in mind you don't have a lot of attachments. Mm-hmm. That's the L-Star and the Rampage LMGs. They can be really, really strong. Do you want to sink all your materials into them in the first and second round? Maybe. When I play Rampart, I go crazy with the Rampage in the, in the first and second round. I just buy it. It works. I have crazy damage. I win a lot of games with her using this weapon. Um, And so I don't feel like it's beneficial for me when I'm playing Rampart to save money and go Mm P2020. I just go Rampage every single round, get the Thermite if I need to, and you just stick with that. The reload is incredible with her, and it's a very powerful combination. L-Star is also just a, a very solid weapon right now. And with the ability to... Tap fire, burst fire, mm-hmm. however you kind of want to phrase it, you can kind of avoid some of that earlier round limitation of not having a mag by using the L-Star in that way. So now some tempting weapons for those first and second rounds that a lot of people I see are using them, but it might not be the best decision out there. A common R3, R, RE45 is the only thing you can really afford. That's a hard weapon to use, honestly. P2020 is as well, don't get me wrong, but you have to hit the vast, vast majority of your shots with the RE45. Another one is the Peacekeeper. No attachments, no bolt. 
-hmm. it's a high risk, like you said, being a shotgun, but this thing is really hard to use with nothing in those first rounds. And then the hemlock, it's a burst. You could have some good success with it, but also a big risk with such a limited magazine, no sight, it's hard. And then there's the people that you know, have to use an SMG first round. What do you think <laughs> about those people? Uh, the SMGs early rounds, guys, they are not the best move. I think if you want a full detailed explanation of why our last week's episode, the SMG meta gives you a great breakdown of the time to kills and the accuracy requirements with common mags, which you might not even get in these early rounds. You could be going no mag if you want to buy anything else. And so you're walking yourself into the situation where you need to be better than what the best average player is in order to be successful. It's just not very forgiving. If you love the nine or the volt and you want to, you know, fully max out late game, there's an argument for doing so early game. Totally. You're going to have a tough time convincing me that this is the best way to go. Now, after the first two rounds, I think round three onwards, you're set. Buy whatever you want. Mm -hmm. If you're playing pretty smart and you're not wasting all your materials on weapons that aren't going to perform, you're not getting the kills, you're not playing any eco at all, if you're just wasting blatantly, you're not going to be as free to buy whatever you want. But I think if you're playing we relatively not smart- wa wasting blatantly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't waste things. You know, you don't want to do it. But that being said, R301, mm -hmm. if you are unsure what to buy- Use the fully kitted R301 every single time. It's the most consistent gun in the game. It's the easiest gun to use. And fully kitted, I also love this thing with the blue. Like if I want to spend money elsewhere as well, you can go blue mag R301 and have a ton of success. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think you and I is far and away favorite arena's weapon right now. So solid, so consistent. And that's kind of the key. Totally. Other options, you know, after you're playing a little bit of eco, you're round three, fully kitted. Go with the R301 or the Flatline mm -hmm. or the Volt at that point with the Digi Threat. You know, that can be a really great fit for like Bloodhound or Bangalore, people getting up close. Yep. And the Rampage is still going to be extremely powerful. And the L Star was powerful at the very beginning of arenas. It is still hyper relevant. And you'll see if those recommendations a little bit of a pattern, you know, some play style, Rampage, L Star, maybe less so with the L Star. But you can play a little bit slower. You know, they're going to be effective, more effective at range. Volt, like you mentioned, those legends that get up close, that's going to lead to a lot of productivity and, you know, being able to flex to this mid and close range with that gun. The Arthur and a Flatline are just so versatile in every way. And that's why they kind of top that list for us. Totally. And then there's kind of the maybes, ones that I have had success with, Shea mm -hmm. has had success with. They are powerful. Are they as reliable as the other ones? I don't believe so. That's the Havoc, fully kitted, the Devotion, fully, Hemlock, Eva 8, 30-30, and the G7. I really have very positive things to say about all these weapons in arenas mm -hmm. when they're fully kitted for the most part. Do they work for every single player and every single legend on every single map? No. The other weapons, Rampage, L-Star, Volt, Flatline, R301, you cannot go wrong. I swear that is the most effective weapons in arenas. Yep. No doubt about it. I agree. What about snipers? A lot of people. You totally. Know, a lot mm -hmm. of people like snipers. And honestly, it's split. 
a, a lot of people swear by the charge rifle, but I see longbow and sentinel work as well. So here's what I will say. My sniper, I have a strong sniper opinion. Longbow is my favorite one if I'm going that way. I don't play sniper rarely at all anymore. Unless it's Oasis. Oasis is that map that kind of is the exception for me. But the big difference that shifted my opinion on actually buying the sniper early versus not was the change to the scope at the early game. I liked getting the six times and having a clear advantage with maybe a P2020 early game being able to poke out long range damage while people don't have heals. But because of the changes to how scopes work, that's no longer possible. You get the one times, then you get the two times, you know. And so that that trend isn't as good and that pathway isn't as good. So I rarely use them currently. I, I have to agree. You know, you're looking at setting yourself up for a long range engagement. That's not a viable option in arenas long term mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Yes, you can charge up the Sentinel first round. That's very powerful. I've totally. used it. I've gotten clips with it. It's great. It's not going to work all the time. Mm-hmm. Charge rifle, very, very expensive, very powerful. I think you're going to be better off sticking together with your team using the R301 than staying back and you know annoying people with the charge rifle. Even if you get a knock, it's going to be hard to consistently close the gap. Totally. Because there's abilities involved. They could have a lifeline. They could have a, you know anything. They could put an ultimate on your head. You know, it's scary to use snipers. Yep. Last question about weapons. Do you go one weapon and kind of put all your materials into that? Or do you try to diversify and maybe go two blues or the best you can do in two? Yeah, uh, one weapon. We're, we're pretty clearly at the one weapon point in the game. Having a purple R301 is going to provide so much more success than a common R301 and a common, let's say, Peacekeeper, you know, for example. Like, oh, yeah, you have the opportunity to swap up close. You know, you're just going to get more success, though, out of using one more fully kitted weapon late game once I'm stacked on cash. Then I will buy an EVA if it's like I got money even left over after that to purchase a secondary. Yeah, Weapons are huge in arenas. Now let's talk about kind of the economy, budgeting your materials, and the buy strategy. Yeah. I think it's important to know right off the bat how much materials you just get for free mm-hmm. in arenas. Round one, you're capped at 550. Then round two, you get 800, 1150, 1500, 1750, and then 2000 in round six. So you're gaining between. 250, 350 each round just for playing and surviving. Yep. You can do a lot with those. Add on top the canisters, you can get really rich really quick considering how they allocate those bonus materials. And with Henry and I's P20 strategy, where you, you know, save some cash early on, that's how you get to those early round threes being able to start not having to worry about fully kitting your gun each and every round, which is such a nice advantage to have. And gain abilities. Yes, you know, totally. abilities to paint on the legend are incredibly important. You know, if you can get multiple scans and an ult with Bloodhound, you're sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very important to get the materials, play the eco in the first two rounds and play conservative so you can do that and just overwhelm the enemies. Well said. But 
on top of making sure you're getting the right abilities, you're not wasting things, and you're getting a really good weapon. Other things you should prioritize, number one, throwables. Talk to me mm. about how important grenades are and arenas. Grenades can change the game. You know, grenades can get you a knock. Grenades can assist a teammate who is maybe slightly further away and you can actually provide some support or back someone away. And then I will say even at the highest level, once you get to a sky nade kind of level, that will absolutely alter how you play arenas. It'll let you control areas of the map that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to with a weapon. And that's kind of the difference. Grenades can absolutely shift an arena's fight where all it takes is one to hit for you to gain a big advantage and that's all it takes in arenas one little advantage i think grenades are a major element of my buy strategy i try to get one or two each round yep. and you you don't always need them you know you really don't should you start off an engagement with a grenade yeah sometimes that can be a really good way to get a slight advantage but also saving them until like you've cracked somebody you know they're healing you know where they are can be really really powerful in terms of what grenade is best it's a really big question mark i think mm -hmm. each of them have majorly different applications i like the frag grenade just because of the price that's what um, i was gonna say yep. but the thermite can be really good with the burn effect you mm -hmm. know countering a res with that countering a lifeline with that really really powerful and the grenades that that's something as well if you, once you start communicating with your team and multiple people are buying grenades that's when things can start to get very overwhelming mm -hmm. in terms of having success absolutely and then in terms of buy strategy just a brief word on heals this also comes down to legend but i mm -hmm. believe that buying more than two bats in the vast majority of scenarios is a waste of materials mm-hmm if you are a mobility legend, if you're Loba, I really don't think you should ever buy bats. You don't need them. You shouldn't really buy batteries in the first or second round. It's too too expensive. You're better off saving it. Um, th those are my thoughts. But if you are a Gibraltar or maybe a Rampart, you don't have the mobility, buying a bat or two is probably your best option in terms of staying alive and securing your longevity in an arena's game if your team wants to play aggressive you're not going to need meds because it's going to be over for the better or for the worse a lot more quickly the only time i buy a lot of bats like i'll full stack things is when i just get into the flow of a match where everyone's kind of playing this long range poke fight style thing and it turns into almost a heal off in ways not a common thing but that's the kind of game within the game that can emerge in arenas and is something I think that should be noted at least. Gotta be adaptable. We're going to wrap it up though now and talk some general strategies for arenas. Long episode everyone. Thank you for sticking with us. I'm sure nobody's mad though. They're getting all the arenas advice they want. Okay. So here's the deal. We got a couple strategies that kind of are more universal. A lot of stuff we've kind of mentioned is like case by case situation. Sometimes this, sometimes this. Here's the overarching ideas though. Communicate with your team, call out that damage, those knocks. It's more crucial than ever in arenas than VR because pushing together quickly is such a huge key to success in closing out combat. In that same vein, the first knock. This decides so much of arenas matches. Doing everything in your power to avoid being on the wrong side of the first knock is key. 
Don't hold back on your abilities if it's going to keep you alive. And try to avoid being the player that makes those huge mistakes in early rounds and sneaks too far away from the squad and gets themselves isolated. Securing the first knock is going to be absolutely key. And in that, how you do that? You focus targets. To knock someone quickly, that means shooting the same person at the same time with multiple teammates. I like, I love the early game strategy. Triple check the heels if that's going towards the zone side, because if they are, if you're not playing for them, you can try and get such a nice early knock because even if that lobe or pathfinder that we mentioned, you know, goes ahead, you're, there's still maps where you're going to have a full line of sight almost from spawn to the heels. And if all three people are checking that, you don't have to hit a lot of shots together to get that knock. And that's going to secure a very quick, quick win for you. And then last, peak smart. Avoid re-peaking and don't get greedy with damage that you just did. You know, you got to mix up your angles. You've got to keep the enemies guessing. And that kind of plays into this idea of shield drain, the slower rounds that we've talked about where you'll get into those fights. If you can force the enemy to dwindle those limited heals, you're just going to win by default if you outshoot them. And how you do that, though, is not saying I'm going to peek from the same left side of the box over and over and over again at the same time. You know, mix it up, have a good time. Those are some arena strategies to help you get some dubs, though. I think those are pretty good, Shay. You know, the strategies in arenas are so hard to wrap up because there's so much to unpack. Totally. But I think the last thing that I'll leave people on is you have to walk a fine line in terms of playing too stingy, too conservative on your spend or your Mm -hmm. use of abilities. I think you should buy what you need to win. For me, I can win in the first rounds with limited weapons, just a basic G7 or uh, a P2020 that's purple. In the later rounds, I'm much more bold. I get a lot of abilities. I get a lot of great weapons and I use them and I max buy, to be honest. I'm not conservative Mm -hmm. round three and four. There's nothing to save for. I just want to win at that point. Especially if you're going for the crafting as well as part of your plan, then you got so much to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can take that perspective and then if something does go wrong and you just go all out round four and you spend everything and you lose, you're going to be able to come back and buy a G7 with the bruiser. It's not Mm -hmm. that expensive. It can hold Mm -hmm. up in the later rounds and you just kind of pull back, be a little bit more defensive, try to get some eco back and then make a push for the win. You should never really feel a ton of pressure in arenas because the enemy has to win by two. First Mm -hmm. rounds are most important in order to secure that kind of cushion, but be bold, you know, after those first two rounds and Mm -hmm. using everything you can to win the round. That's the third party pod, Arena's Guide. We're going to wrap up the episode though by answering some five-star questions. First one's coming from Awesome Cookie. Hey guys, I tuned into the show a little over a month ago and really love all the content you guys put out every week. My question is, what do you think of this idea for a Watson buff? The idea being that when an in range of her ultimate, down teammates could be enclosed by the color of their knockdown shield. I don't feel like this would be too overpowered because there are really only two colors of the knockdown shield that would keep you all protected. And also knockdown shields could potentially regenerate their hit points while still within range of their ultimate. This would make her much stronger as a defensive legend when things go south in a fight by protecting your teammates from being eliminated. Thank you so much for all the detailed content you guys put out every week. Keep it up. Hashtag dub. They definitely got some detailed content this week. And thank you for the review of Cookie. 
I like that a lot. You know, we just spoke about Watson at length. This is a, a decent idea, you know, mm-hmm. enforcing her ability to be supportive or defensive is a path that I really, really support. How much would a buff like this impact her kit and her value? I don't think it's super clear or overwhelming. No, I don't think it would be a, a big difference maker. I think that maybe if you res and you get to be inside the bubble also, maybe there's some power there in that way. But in the end, we're not huge fans of abilities that require your teammates to go down because that means you're already on the back foot and you're not putting yourself in an advantageous position with a legend. Next question is coming from 10. What is the one thing that annoys you guys in Apex? Mine would be when players spam ping respawn or their banner. Yeah, spam ping respawn or banner 10 is the easy one for me. I will 100% not grab somebody's banner and not respawn if uh, if I hear people on mic and uh, they're constantly pinging. That's like a sin of Apex. You don't do that, guys. Come on now. <laughs> There's that's a good one for sure. I think the things that annoy me in Apex are honestly just annoying teammates. Teammates totally. that think they're so good and that everything they do is perfect and everything you do means you've never played the game before. It really annoys me. Especially when they're a hundred levels below you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they just <laughs> think they're the best and then they die and then they leave the game. It's like those players really annoy me because mm-hmm. I know they love Apex. They just don't have a clue how this game is played but they think they really do honorable mention to the uh rotate map rotation of olympus and how the game flows together which is a <laughs> uh, another episode slash rant we could go on another day but that's Ouch. gonna wrap it up yep that's gonna wrap it up thank you to our producers of the third party 10 and Corey, who support us as dropship captains on patreon make sure you subscribe on apple pods drop a follow on spotify leave a five-star review with your question we'll answer it on our next episode Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod and check out our Discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>